Ya Tomodachi to the Daily Variety Show. I'm your host, Tyler Daly, and if this is the first time you're joining us, and it probably is because it's our ninth episode, keep listening because topics change frequently and the timer's always set at five minutes and things are going to get sidetracked. Today on the show, we're going to talk about my top five bands slash performers to see live in concert. After that, we're debuting a new segment called Things That You Thought Were True But Are Actually False. Sorry about the bland title. Our branding department had this week off, so it was difficulty coming up with names. So, and to close out the show, I'm going to tell you about Muhammad Aisha and his strife aboard an abandoned ship. Welcome back, and we'll get right to it. So, I'm just going to give you my top five bands. Um, The reason why I also wanted to say performers was to not include comedians, but to say that, you know, bands, I think sometimes people as multiple people. So, you know, they could be an artist or just one person, if that makes sense. But musician, maybe, maybe I should have said that, but here we are. (laughs) So I'm going to start with my honorable mention, um, Ballyhoo. They are a um, ska rock reggae, I think is what they would like to be called. Um, band from Maryland, and I've seen them several times, um, up in Gainesville at the High Dive, um, with Richard from last week, um, if you haven't listened to that show, listen to Richard, you know, saw the show with him, it was really fun, they have a lively performance, and, you know, it's fast-paced, so to move on to my number five, I understand I'm giving you six, but here's extra content, so number five is A Day to Remember, Um, They're a band from Ocala, Florida, and again, I've seen them at least five or six times. Every time you go to see them, it's definitely an opportunity to see some form of a set, like setting. Does that make sense? Like trees or like props, where you go see a lot of other bands and it's just like, hey, it's us, watch us, and we're just going to stand here and do our music thing. They've really thought about their presentation, their tours, what they're named, and how that correlates to their stage presence and like what they wear and you know that sort of thing. And I think that that's pretty unique. Specific example, they did this like, not to say like nature tour, but they wore like Boy Scout uniforms and like acted as though they were outdoors. They had another one that was like coming home, and then they played like as though they were in their garage. You know, fun stuff. <laughs> so the next one is Iration um, at number four, just because I've, even though I've seen them less than some of these other bands, every time I've seen them, it's been like right at that summertime when it's shifting from daytime to nighttime. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like 105 degrees and I'm super sweaty to like, wow, the sun has set. We can actually enjoy this now with a cold beer, if you know what I mean. And it's just a really good setting. I really enjoyed it. Saw them in Cocoa Beach with Alexis. Um, Also in Orlando with Richard. Um, (laughs) Yeah, somehow Richard's always here. But um, having only seen like three concerts in his entire life, and he sees them all with me. (laughs) So 
Yeah, super fun time in Coco. Yeah. So, number three, Dirty Heads. Um, one of the first people I got to see live, uh, shout out my dad for taking me to that concert. Um, for what feels like they played like 90 minutes to two hours um, the first time I saw them. And they always give a really good lengthy like 60 minutes set. Um, some festivals they've done 45 minutes, but they give you all the hits. And, you know, it's always a different show. Like they are still going to give you their best hits, but they're not always going to give you, you know, their best song. Um, yeah, they're a reggae band, I guess, is probably the genre from California. So then 21 Pilots is number two. Um, I have seen them probably the most out of anyone on this list. Um, shout out my mom, took me to Tampa, um, picked me up from the airport, drove to Tampa, and then we got to see 21 Pilots. That was, you know, one of my favorite memories of seeing them. Um, also, you know, just being able to have that experience and have it be a completely different set than any of the other ones that I had seen from them. They used, like, screen projectors to, like, illuminate their face, like, up above with, like, lighting. Very unique. Um, I understand I'm not doing it justice, but you might be able to find it if you search, like, 2019, maybe it was 2018, um, 21 Pilots Tour. Um, you might be able to see it. Um, and then just to kind of speak to a couple of the other times, because they were so special. Um, like, each time I saw them, they really made you feel like it's just us and them as opposed to, yeah, we're just playing our music for you. If, you know, you see a lot of music, I guess. Um, they somehow got a moderator or, like, person to talk to, and they played several covers of Lana Del Rey's Summertime Sadness, um, which to see another band do. They also did Lamborghini by Rick Ross, covered both of those songs in the middle of their set. Um, <laughs> another time we saw them, he somehow managed to teleport from one side of the arena all the way to the other side of the arena. Unsure of how he did that other than different people. Saw them in Jacksonville. He decided to climb scaffolding or not so much scaffolding, but, like, you know, if you go to an outdoor festival, typically they have, like, you know, metal poles that you can climb up, you know. I'm going to call them scaffolding, but they are much smaller than scaffolding. He climbed up one of those because he was in his phase of climbing, I guess, and that's just such a risk to do as a performer, you know, because you still got to sing and do the whole thing. Um, and, I mean, also, every time the crowd sings along with them, it is very very unique um the first time i saw them um in jacksonville off a recommendation from my brother we are next to these two people bros i guess that had never met each other and this one guy pulls out a flask from his pocket and was just like here you go and these do two guys just singing couldn't tell you the song might have been car radio but you know very unique experience that you don't see like individuals interacting for the first time so there you go that was probably way too long in 21 pilots so we got to get going here so childish gambino is the last one um at number one it is absolutely the best performance i've seen saw that one with nick shout out nick um he'll be coming on hopefully in a later episode so when you're like oh yeah that's nick from childish gambino show um him and i went to bonnaroo and we got to see him and it was just you know, the standalone best performance I've seen with setting, lights, place, how he spoke to the audience, 
what his goal was as a set. Like, it was a feeling, you know? And it's not a lot of shows that do that, but we had a feeling. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back after the break. We're going to get right to it. So, on this segment of things you thought were true but are actually false, um, we're going to talk about the Stanford Prison Experiment and, you know, kind of put a positive spin on it for today's day and age. Um, So, just to give you a little background on what it was, so the Stanford Prison Experiment um, was a psychology experiment that attempted to put in charge of a group of inmates, a group of like guards, if that makes sense. So there were guards, they were in charge of the prisoners, and they were just going to like let it happen, if that makes sense, to kind of just watch it um, and then see what happens without giving, you know, restraints. So some slightly interesting information. The U.S. Office of Naval Research... um, funded the experiment for some reason um not sure they should have done that looking back um (laughs) yeah so as you can kind of tell or guess you know it's going to turn into madness here um we're not doing quick history but you know maybe we'll do quick history on this one later but to kind of just speed us through what happened um just a lot of allegedly gruesome stuff you know between the guards and the prisoners, quote unquote, even though they weren't actually in prison or actually guards, they were just doing an experiment. Just terrible stuff happened. And they ended up stopping it about a week in um, because of how bad it was going. Um, boof. Yeah. Not ideal. Not ideal. Um, if you would like to listen to a probably two how two hour explanation of what the Stanford prison experiment is, um, I'm going to link an episode of a podcast called time suck. He does a really good and entertaining slash funny job of reading through of an in-depth script of what happened in a specific history thing. So I'll link that again in the description cause I can't give you two hours of what this is. So there we go. So after the gruesome stuff, you know, the psychology, psychological, psychological, whatever, you get it. The, the people that, that study the brain or whatever and like what we do, um, they really use this for a very, very long time to, you know, form the basis of, you know, not say archetypes or like just like predictable behavior of like what we could do in specific situations um and it really painted us as humans in a negative light because of kind of the all the bad things that happened Jeez, there were a lot of bad things um so to kind of talk about you know stuff when i took my psychology class in college that you know we didn't go over, and I mean, this lady was a, was allegedly a doctor who was teaching us this stuff, and, you know, to not do this justice in this manner, like, just to accept it, I guess, um, 
I don't know. I'm a dumb kid in college, you know, impressionable youth, learning stuff from, you know, smarter people from Canada. Um, yeah. Anyways, so a lot of stuff was raised in question. Ethical issues on, like, did they actually carry this out properly? Like, did they go too far? Um, well, I mean, did they do it safely? Um, how are they going to help them after the fact? If I mean, of these injuries and such, you know, brain and physically. Um, yeah. So, also, in science, it's a small and small sample size. So to only do something for seven days and, you know, not be able to replicate it, I guess, because it has been replicated over the years since it happened back in the 70s. Um, oh, yeah, it happened in Stanford, the, the college in California. So there's your fact. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there we go. Moving through it. Um, also, the guy that's in charge of this, we can kind of tell after the fact that he's just not the best guy to you know, probably hear out on this stuff, regardless of if we're going to accept this happened as fact. Um, but to kind of go in on how this whole thing is a fallacy and that, that sort of thing with about 30 seconds left and hope I don't get cut off. So it seemed as though after the fact, you can actually see some video of this that they released. Um, him kind of coaxing the guards or like, you know, giving them tips or like kind of leading the witness if that makes sense to tell them to do stuff to to get the response or the the data that he wanted out of it um and i just think that that's a terrible thing to do if we're gonna hold up this this dude in psychology for you know 50 years almost and uh yeah there's um yeah it's fine but here we are um that's the timer yeah we're doing it loud again so deal with it deal with it um take a positive spin. I just think that it shed a uh, low light on humanity for a very long time on saying we could actually become this, we could actually be responsible for this in our own regular nature. Um, but it's not. It's not. They've tried to do it again. They haven't replicated the same data. And this guy coaxed all his people to do it. So yeah, we're, we got to go to break. So we'll, we'll catch you after on the flippity flip. Today's fun fact is about Elton John. Fun fact, Elton John used to own an English soccer team named Watford Football Club and the stadium's actually named after him. Maybe the stand, but I mean, what is a stand, right? So there you go. Elm John. Welcome back from the break. Um, yeah, maybe I should get a new thing to say. If you've got new things for me to say back from the break, email it in. DailyVarietyShow at gmail.com um, <laughs> So, now we're going to talk about Muhammad... Aisha, sorry if I don't pronounce your name correctly. Um, I did listen to a few, you know, him say it a few times or, you know, real journalists saying it. But, you know, that's my try. Um, so he has been, up until recently, about a week ago, um, or recently, um, depending on when you're listening to it, I guess. 
So let's put dates on it. So in the year 2021, 2,100. That's wrong. 2021, he was finally allowed to leave. Um, so to back us way up. So in 2017, um, Mohammed was working on a ship called the MV Amman. And they went through the Suez Canal. And we all know about the Suez Canal. If you remember that whole evergreen thing that got, or ever given, that got stuck in the middle of it. And, you know, cost billions of dollars in damages for shipping. So, he has been stuck, you know, at the Suez Canal outside of Egypt for four years on this boat that doesn't have gas, that doesn't have power. And now here's why, I guess. So, their Egyptian captain was allowed to disembark because he's from, I believe, Syria. Um, So... He wasn't allowed to disembark or get off the ship when the captain was for some reason. It's kind of unclear in that nature. But since he was the highest ranking official, um, Egypt was like, hey, you're the owner of this boat owes us money. And he's like, well, I don't know what you want me to do about it. And then they were like, well, hey, you got to sign this. And, you know, you're, you're in charge here. So he signed it, not realizing that that would mean that he as the highest ranking officer, would have to stay on the boat until the matter was resolved. So, yeah, which is absolutely crazy that that's a thing. Um, So his, the owner of the boat he was working for, they just went bankrupt. And now the boat's going to be going to auction to be sold, which is just absolutely insane that this dude hasn't been getting paid for four years. And he just has to live on this broken down boat and isn't allowed to leave. Um, yeah. Also, Egypt took his passport allegedly, evidently, um, from what I'm reading. So, you know, it's not as though he could just get off the boat and then go to another country. You know, you kind of have to have your passport to get in. Um, so, yeah. So he's been stuck on the boat. And a couple years ago, I believe it was last year, a storm came through, and I guess luckily knocked his boat off his mooring or his anchor or like what keeps the boat in place if that makes sense to you non-nautical knowers um and it luckily blew him in closer so he could actually jump off the ship or i guess get down through a ladder um and swim to shore to get food water and then charge up his phone before he has to swim back um within a few hours um allegedly evidently what I'm reading. Um, if you would like to look it up, um, you can see a couple of the photos that he's released. Um, I also just want to, you know, highlight this is not a one-time thing. Um, currently, I believe that there's about 20-ish examples of this going on around the world, um, and you can actually look those up um, if you search ship abandonment. Um, if you scroll a little bit down on Google, you can figure out, like, where they are. Um, you know, if you would feel inclined to help, you know. It's crazy that these seafarers get trapped on these boats for who knows how long. And they're the ones responsible, even though it's not their boat. It's not not anything, you know, that they have money ties in. And, I mean, 
it's not like he can just put thousands of dollars of gas into this boat to get it started up, which, you know, at this point, it probably hasn't started in a long while, so it's going to need a lot of maintenance work, you know. As a seafarer, he's just not going to have that money, you know, laying around to fix up this boat, even if he's allowed to sail it away, because, again, oh, yeah, there we go, loud, in the mic. Um, and it's not like the Egyptian government would even let him go. Um, so, luckily, he was allowed to leave uh, recently and fly back to his home in Syria. And now he can catch up on life. So, thanks for listening. Um, see you next week. Buy a watch from Freestyle Watches. Use the link in our episode description to buy a watch, and we'll get a portion of those proceeds. They actually just released some very cool Koi watches recently. Yes, you heard that right. Koi. The fish. It looks pretty cool. Look them up. Use the link in our description to just look at the watches, even if you don't buy them. They're dope. Now that the show's over, it's time to talk about the Daily Variety Show mystery and what the clue this week is. So, it's kind of a shame no one has still gotten it correct, but moving forward, I'm going to restate what the prizes are. So, you will get a prize pack with also including the holographic Daily Variety Show logo holographic stickers. Yes, you will get multiple stickers. And you'll get to pick what the next mystery is in the show so if you have a guess for what the mystery is email us dailyvarietyshow at gmail.com there's also a link to it in our description and now for the clue the clue is in the title there you go the clue is in the title did you figure it out